In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I hope you're having a great 4th of July. I'm down here in, I think, Sandestin, Florida, on a very large family vacation. Uh, with my wife and all of her wonderful family. Uh, I hope you're having a good fourth. I hope you're getting to spend some time doing whatever it is that relaxes you. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to thank you again for emailing me your excellent questions. I'm going to answer in just a bit, but let's wrap up last night's action. Atlanta United was shut out for the third consecutive game and a 3-0 loss to Chicago at Soldier Field. The team is now winless in its past six games, and because of injuries and call-ups to international teams, it doesn't appear that at least the winless streak is likely to end soon. The team remains with 12 points. It is four points behind seventh place place Red Bulls for that final playoff spot with a game at Nashville, which I believe is unbeaten at home on Thursday. There's really not not a lot to say about last night's game. The team created just six chances. It put just two shots on goal. It finished with expected goals of 1.0. It's not that Chicago did anything great, but it did take advantage of its scoring chances. It had just four shots on goal. Atlanta United was without striker Joseph Martinez, midfielder Emerson Hyman, midfielder Santiago Sosa, midfielder Franco Albara, midfielder Jurgen Daum, midfielder Mateus Rosetu, and center back Alan Franco. It's going to soon be without Ezekiel Barco, Biles Robinson, George Bello, and Brad Guzan because of international call-ups. It doesn't seem likely that any of the injured players are going to return in time for Nashville. Uh, Santiago Sosa might, um, but we will just have to see. He's played a lot of minutes this season. He played 900 minutes in the first nine games, um, or 10 games, I'm sorry, uh, which is quite a lot because he hadn't played a whole lot for River Plate before he came here. So workload is, is kind of a factor. Uh, Marcelino Moreno didn't start because of workload, because of the glove of games coming up. Um, he came on as a sub and played well. Um, had a, a good cross to Machop Chol, uh, but it was headed right at the goalkeeper. But it was a good sign that, that Chol got into that position. Now, let's get on to your questions about last night. Lewis asks, do you think man-marking is killing us? I don't think we pressure high enough for man-marking to be effective generating high-quality turnovers. Yeah, I think the man-marking is not working very well. Uh, when you're a team that doesn't have a lot of speed across the board, to try to man mark, I think, is just a recipe for disaster, and it's kind of proven so. Uh, when teams can get that turnover in the final third, Atlanta United is just not quick enough to recover. You saw that with two of the goals uh, last night. Um, I don't understand why Heinze has gone to this system. It doesn't make any sense to me, and it keeps getting burned. Uh but Heinze says he's not going to change, uh, which 
to me, uh, forecast uh, additional problems. He said he's going to continue to work and continue to do the work on the things the team does well and, and fix the things that it does poorly. Um, but his systems aren't going to change. Now, he could have just been you know, speaking in the moment. He's a very smart man. Um, he's got to see what's going on and, and recognize that what he's trying to do with the talent at hand isn't working. And the best coaches are able to do that. Some are able to get a system, put it into place, and additionally build a roster that works. Other coaches are able to take whatever it is they have and figure out how to make the most of it every year. To me, I think Hines is in that situation right now. He's got to figure out what works while he continues to try to put in the principles of his systems and then hope that the team can continue to build a roster that eventually fits his perfected, perfect style. All right, Kyle says, aren't these guys that he wanted signed or did not have input on the player acquisition? Yes, he had input on the player acquisition, talking about Heinz. Santiago Sosa is one of his guys. Franco Ibarra is one of his guys. Alan Franco is one of his guys. Um, Lissandro Lopez was one of his guys. Unfortunately, you know, he's gone for the year, which, which I hope his family is, is doing well and recovering um, from the loss of, of his father. Um, but, yeah, right now it's just not working. Um, Going back to previous, like Frank DeBoer didn't have hardly any say in player acquisition. And I keep telling y'all that, and y'all don't seem to want to, some of you don't seem to want to believe me. Um, he had no say in the players coming or going. So when you say that he ran off players, he didn't run them off. It, if you think that Frank DeBoer wanted Julian Gressel, Darlington, Nagby, and Tito Viaba to leave, that makes absolutely no sense. Um, okay. Matt says, did Chol, Machup Chol, earn himself another look given his play? A bit of a bright spot. I know you always say our expectations are too high for unproven players. I have no expectations for him. Just feels like he's earned another chance after tonight and there's nothing to lose. I agree. I thought uh, Chol in his limited minutes uh, did come in. I think this was his second appearance in the league. No, he, I think he came in the Champions League. So this might have been his first league appearance. Um, but he threatened Chicago's back line. He kept trying to run in behind Chicago's back line, which is something that really only Brooks Lennon does consistently, I think, uh, for the team. Um, but, of course, he's also fast like Brooks Lennon. Um, he had that great header, unfortunately, right at the goalkeeper. But he put himself in some good situations. So we'll see what Heinze does with him next week. He could start on the wing because the team is running out of players. Um, Michael says, has any team had less impactful designated players? Oh, I'm sure some team has, but Atlanta United's right now just uh, Joseph Martinez has been out for the past few games because he's been with Venezuela. Um, at the Copa America, Ezequiel Barco, I will get into in just a little bit. Uh, Marcelino Moreno was bought down. He leads the team in goals, but he hasn't really done anything the past few games. And Alan Franco, uh, designated player as a center back, uh, I th- which is more just a, a function of MLS rules, I think, than anything else. Uh, either can't get on the field, or when he does, the team gives up goals in bunches, which aren't always his fault. It just keeps happening, or is injured. Um, he said Barco had an insane amount of turnovers and then letting the fire player just dribble on by. If he wasn't needed to the Olympics, he may have been needed to head to the bench. Um I said a long time ago on the guys on Dirty South Soccer on their podcast that I think by the end of the year, Barco is going to end up being uh, not starting. Um, 
because we've seen this with several different managers. No one can quite figure out what exactly to do with him. What is his best position? There was a moment last night, and you just had to chuckle. Barco got the ball. He cut right across the field because that's what he likes to do. And this time, instead of passing it to the right, which is what he almost always does, and there was a man wide open standing there, 18 yards from goal, he tried to cut it back to his left, and it was intercepted. It was just the guy cannot seem to make the right decision or his teammates get on the same page as him during games. And it's been going on now since 2018 when he came to the club. I I don't know why, if it's just bad luck. Some players just don't fit in certain situations. He keeps trying, but the results just aren't there. Uh, Jason asks, what's the point of trying to keep the ball for 60% of the time if you don't ultimately have good attempts at scoring? Well, it does keep the other team from scoring. Uh, You can't score if you don't have the ball. What's been very interesting to me about this is Atlanta United dominates possession, but the other teams inevitably take more shots and get more shots on goal and the limited amount of possession they have, um, which shows that they're either creating key crucial turnovers and able to take advantage quickly, which is what Chicago did, um, or there's some more issues on Atlanta United's defense. Uh, I don't mind Atlanta United having the ball, but I do kind of agree with you that something needs to be done when they have the ball. Passing for passing's sake reminds me of the U.S. Men's National Team like in 2012, 2014, when they decided they were going to be a possession team but didn't really have any idea what it was that they wanted to do once they got the ball. So you just saw a lot of sideways passing and backward passing over and over and over again. That's what this reminds me of. Sean asks, who is accountable and whose head needs to roll? I think it's time to look at Bocanegra. He's talking about vice president of the team, Carlos Bocanegra. Um it's believed that his contract ends at the end of this year. I'm not advocating for a termination. I've said this before. I can only say that based upon previous years and based upon the club's behavior with guys like Frank DeBoer, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, i got to imagine that Darren Eels is going to have to take a close look at Carlos and decide what he wants to do. It could be any number of things could happen. Um, you're saying that he needs to be fired. I don't know about that. It could be a restructuring of the front office. The team doesn't have a, a vice president of soccer operations, which was the job held by Paul McDonough. That needs a head scout, which are two pretty important things for transfer windows and building a roster. Um, I think that those hirings are probably imminent. I'm supposed to talk with Darren uh, Eels, President Darren Eels, this week, and I hope to get that nailed down as to when that might be happening. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I don't think Heinze is going to be let go. If the team were to let Heinze go right now, it could really, really set the club back unless they already have someone else in mind who they want to hire um, who is some sort of plan for working with the talent on this roster and turning it around. So anyway, um, Sean continue or someone else, I'm sorry, asked on Twitter. They didn't have like a real name in their Twitter handle. Do you honestly expect the team to make major moves this offseason? If so, why should fans be hopeful given the non-Tata personnel track record this far? Barco, Pity, Rizzotto, Dom, Moreno. Um, yeah, I think the team has got to make major moves this offseason. Uh, and as far as the hopeful, I, I don't disagree with you. Um, the, the 
Tata first Paul McDonough go-around, produced some really quality signings. And since then, really the only player of quality, consistent quality that the team has signed, and I wouldn't say he's a game changer, but he's definitely a game manager that Atlanta United could use right now, is Emerson Hyman. Um, A lot of you are high on Santiago Sosa. I think he started well. I think his performances have really not nearly been as effective since then. Um, He has a very low uh, key passes, very low um, expected assists. Um, His defense typically suffers near the end of games, which is fatigue and and things like that. Um, I think he's going to be a very good player. I think right now his performances aren't as good as some of you might think. Uh, That doesn't mean I'm advocating that he not start. I think he needs to start as soon as he's healthy again um, because I think he's going to be a good player. So, you know, players go through this, particularly when they're playing a lot of minutes and they're not used to it. Um, But I think Santiago Sosa is going to be a good signing. Barco, uh, you know, I think that there's more than enough sample size to show that he is uh, an average player, to be blunt. Um, I tweeted last night that um, if I were a scout from another team and had no preconceived notions about Atlanta United and I were watching a game, I'm not even sure Barco would be among my top five targets of interest uh, for purchase. Um, my list would be Robinson, Miles Robinson, Bello, Anton Walks, who I know didn't have a great game last night, but he forms a good partnership with Robinson. has proven to be a really good defender. Brooks Lennon, because um, he's second in MLS and chances created, and like Jillian Sakovic said, he's creating 60% of it lining on his chances. It's not his fault that there's not someone on the end of these things scoring. Um, and then probably Santiago Sosa. Uh, but Barco wouldn't wouldn't be that guy. Um, but he, anyway. Matt, uh, possession. Overrated statistic or most overrated statistic? Matt, I see you go to the Stephen Colbert School of Questions, and that's pretty funny. I'm going to take a quick coffee sip here. I hope you can do the same. Uh, we kind of touched on this just a second ago. Uh, I think it's overrated if there's no end game to the possession. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it other than that. Um, with all the absences in the squad for the next few weeks, can the next game at Lenny United could reasonably be considered the favorite to be the Toronto game on August 18th? Who? Boy, you're trying to put me out on a limb. Let's let's go through the schedule real quick and let's see if I can agree with you. At Nashville, they will not be the favorite. At home versus New England, I know they're at home, but New England has twice as many points, so they're not going to be a favorite. Cincinnati is a much different, better team, and it's on the road where Atlanta United just doesn't win, hasn't won in two years, not going to be the favorite. At home versus Columbus, which is a much, much improved team, not going to be the favorite. At Orlando, definitely not going to be the favorite. At Montreal, not going to be the favorite. At Columbus, not going to be the favorite. At home versus LFC, August 15th, not going to be the favorite. At home versus Toronto, yep. And really, let's just have some fun and go through this here real quick. At D.C. United, not going to be the favorite. At home versus Nashville, not going to be the favorite. At home versus Orlando, not going to be the favorite. At home versus Cincinnati, possibly. At home versus D.C., possibly. At Philly, not going to be the favorite. Versus Inter-Miami, yes. At Montreal again, uh, not going to be the favorite. At Toronto, oh, these are in Florida, though. At Toronto, yep. NYFC at home, nope. At home, Inter-Miami, yes. At home, Toronto, yes. At New York Red Bulls, no. At Cincinnati, no. 
Points are going to be hard to come by, folks. Unless Heinz can get this team to flip a switch and they can get some uh, healthy players back. I know MLS clubs, this is another question, don't like to sell during the summer, but if Atlanta gets reasonable offers for Miles or Bello in this upcoming window, would it make sense to sell them now? You get a chance to see how other players do in these positions, and they would either be better prepared to perform next season, or you have figured out a replacement will need to be brought in. So here's the thing about Atlanta United's transfer policy. And this has been articulated by Eels several times. The club will only make a deal to sell if it's uh, right for the player, right for the club, in the right situation. So for them to sell Bellow or Miles, basically, you know, we're free. They didn't have to pay a transfer fee on any. So any transfer fee in the millions is kind of gravy. But at the same time, Eels is a very, very smart man, a very, very shrewd negotiator. He's not going to give them away just because he gets an offer. Um, I mean, if you look at transfermarket.us, uh, which, you know, I don't know how accurate it is uh, in terms of player valuations, but as of last week when I broke the news about clubs in England and Belgium looking at George Bellow, it lists his transfer value right now at uh, $2.75 million. I don't think there's any chance on God's green earth that – Eels would sell George Bellow for as low as two point seven five million. Uh, I I would bet it would be more five to seven million, um, but we'll just have to see. Miles Robinson has a value of three point three million, according to TransferMarket.us. Uh, I I would probably guess that Eels wouldn't sell him for eight nine ten million. Um, but again, a lot depends upon the club, where he's going, the situation, and things like that. So, anyway, Adam asks, does tonight's loss illustrate the lack of a vocal leader on the pitch for Atlanta United? I get the sense the team likes someone to galvanize the side after capitulating the first goal. Uh, yeah, and this, I think this has been a problem for quite a while. There's no Jeff Lernowitz. There's no Michael Parkhurst. There's no Leandro Gonzalez-Perez. You know, there was no Joseph last night. Brad Guzan can only do so much as, as a goalkeeper. Um, but this has been a problem for a while. I keep hoping that Brooksland or Miles Robinson will be the guy just to gather everyone together and say no more or do what Heinze says or something, you know, whatever. And they might be doing that for all I know. Um, I can't see everything on the pitch all the time. Uh, but I think that there is a, a vacuum in that area that needs to be filled. I don't know by whom. In lieu of Atlanta's depleted attack, should Heinze have done more to emphasize defensive responsibilities coming into this match? It seems he either has unrealistic hopes for the offense's ability to magically come around or hasn't done well enough to coach the other players how to defend as a team in games when they're outgunned. Uh, I really don't know. It's a great question. We don't get to watch training. I have no idea what is emphasized during training. Uh, I mean, Atlanta United sometimes changes its tactics, but for the past few games, you've seen a lot of the same stuff over and over and over again. George Bellow does a lot of underlapping. Brooks Lennon does a lot of overlapping. Um, sometimes you'll see a couple of different players pop up in the mid-channels, but it's really kind of the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and teams have figured out, just pack the middle of the field, and there's no one that's really going to beat them. Um, 
and that's just how it goes. So let's see if there's any more questions before we close up this mailbag um, and this podcast. I don't really see any. Um, Again, happy 4th of July. I hope you all are doing well. Uh, Please consider subscribing to this podcast. Please uh, consider consuming the content produced by all the other guys who cover the team. Um, And we'll talk to you again after Thursday's game at Nashville. This has been a Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. Follow me on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,